Are you a business owner looking for real advice and input? You're in the right place. From concept to launch to growth, funding and beyond. Welcome to Startup Hustle with your hosts. One once sold a business for $150 million. The other, the author of Million Dollar Bedroom. Here are your hosts of Startup Hustle, Matt DeCourcy and Matt Watson. Hello and welcome back to Startup Hustle with Matt Watson and Matt DeCourcy. How are you doing today, Matt? Doing pretty good. I'm really excited about our guest today. You've known him for a while, haven't you? Well, and I, I have for, I don't know, 17 years or something like that. But I'm excited because this podcast is sort of like a startup in itself. And we have somebody here today that can give us a lot of advice. Yeah, I, I got briefed on a few of these stories and you know, threw a timeout in because I think that they're probably best told with the record button already pressed. Uh, so let's uh, introduce Jeff Julian. Yeah, so hey guys, I'm Jeff Julian, uh, owner of a small agency called Square Digital. Uh, we help large companies in Kansas City with the content management system. So uh, FreightQuote.com, we rolled that last year, University of Kansas Hospital, uh, the VFW built a lot of their sites. Um, so these are big websites you wouldn't want to go down, and when they do want to go down, you want to write back up. So how can you help us with our podcast? Yeah, exactly. So, well, I've been podcasting since 2005. So I can, Let's get right to it. We yeah. need help. I can tell you all the right and wrong things to do. Um, but I think you guys have a great start. Um, I've listened to all the shows. And I want to point out, this is yet another person who has actually listened to the show and then still showed up for the interview. Yeah, exactly. It's, Thank you. It's, Thank I mean, you. The best thing about it is it's an informal conversation. Yeah. And people don't want to hear scripts. Yeah. And if they do, they don't want to hear multiple voices when they hear scripts because then it's just that awkward conversation. So if you're looking as your startup guy and you're trying to say, hey, should I get into podcasting? Um, make sure that everything you do is authentic and towards the audience. You guys really give a shit about um, small business owners or startup owners. And so it comes out in the conversation. And also make sure you like doing stuff that takes a fair amount of time that doesn't pay shit. <laughs> so how do we validate our idea, Jeff? Yeah, on a podcast? You don't. So now, like, What's our I, path to revenue? When I podcast now, let's see, like, I'll take a podcast to a conference and we'll record like 20 shows. I make sure I go raise $20,000 before I hit the ground. So I go find sponsors. I don't worry about like networks or running ads or anything like that. I find somebody else who cares about the audience I care about. And then I go make them a sugar dad. They'll pay you to be a guest. They pay me to do something collaborative. To okay. We, we've spent a Will lot of Will you pay us? Hmm? Will no, you pay like, us? Like I could get Microsoft involved. There's somebody <laughs> like that who cares about the audience. Or... Actually, Matt, I've been getting paid from all of our guests. Are you serious? Yeah. It's like the people who want to be YouTubers. Like it takes a million views to get $3,000 on YouTube. How do we get a million and listeners? That's near impossible, right? How do you get a million listeners? If Apple's in control, uh, you don't for a very long time, unless you pick a topic that is going to go super crazy viral. Um, but that's that's hard to find. Well, this is a good time to mention that you can always listen to the podcast at startuphustle.xyz, um, along with plenty of other places like the iTunes store, the podcast app, Android, Stitcher, a whole so, bunch of other places. So but. we have no idea if this startup is going to work. Um, we have no path to revenue. We have no business plan and no we forecast. It, really. But we're still doing a podcast. So yeah. 
I thought we agreed that this was more along the lines of therapy. It is. I feel I feel a lot better after I shot my misgivings at this microphone. And some of the best ways to get to revenue is to build an audience first, and then you can ask them. Like we all talked about testing, right? Testing your product ideas. Well, if if you're trying to reach bowlers and you don't have an audience of bowlers besides the guys that show up at your lanes that are right down to your house, well, you're going to get very diluted information. You're going to get information from people who know you and things like that. So build the giant audience of bowlers through a podcast. And then when you start rolling out products, you have somebody to sell to and they like you and they come back every week. And so I'm all about it, but it just takes so much time and you should not consider it a revenue stream. It is like you talked about in with content, it's a piece of value. It's an asset that you could charge money for. You don't because you want their attention. Well, these are all things that we'll consider somewhere down the road. Let's, Jeff, let's talk about some of the things that you've been involved in. Um, I, you know, I got it. Like I said, I got a small briefing on your history and can we jump right into AJI? Sure. Yeah. I mean, it's uh, it was a company I founded out of uh, getting fired. Um, so we had a podcast called Podcast Studio. Um, and uh, we had to have an office because my son was one at the time. And we were in our basement. We had all this plastic furniture. And same with you. I was a DJ in Westport. So I had all this great gear that I could record with. Um, but it's very hard to get the sound of kid running around upstairs out of your podcast. And when you have guests that you've had brought in over the phone, you know, at the time you couldn't do Skype integration or anything like that. You had to actually plug a phone into the mixer and actually pull the sound in that way. Um, it just made it a nightmare. So we got an office. And when the owner of the company I worked for at the time found the office, they called us while we were at Microsoft on a sales deal for them and then fired us right before we got on the airplane. And so, Sometimes getting fired can be one of the better things that happens in your life. You had a, didn't you have a saying regarding that or there was something, I'm, I'm freeing your future up? Or, uh, I'm going to free up your future. Yeah. I'm, gonna I'm not firing you. I'm freeing up your future. Yes. So thank you. Don't know yeah. what your future is, but it's not this. Right. But with that, sometimes that's not a bad thing. And, you know, I like to say sometimes you have to jump and then build wings. Well, sometimes you get pushed off the cliff and have to build wings. And is that, that what happened with AJI? Oh, absolutely. So we had minimal money coming in from advertising for Geeks with Blogs. It was a community we owned at the time that Matt now owns. Um, and so it's good to have nice friends. But um, what happened was we had an advisor in our lives that said, look, if it's volatile in your company, because they had mentioned that they didn't like us running a blog on the side. Now, wait, let's back up. So AJI, first off, you said something kind of funny. It started out with a different name, and you don't have to mention that if you don't want to. No, if you can look me up on LinkedIn, you'd see it. It's Alexander and Julian Inc. And, so, that, and you said that that sounded more like, like a law firm. Yes. Yeah, like nobody wants to go buy software from Alexander and Julian Inc. <laughs> and the funny thing about the naming of it was Microsoft held a gun to our head pretty much as vendors saying, if you want sponsorship money, you have to be S Corp. Instead of an LLC, if you're an LLC, you need 75 employees. And so we could go incorporate overnight into an S-Corp, but then you have to change your name. So we, like, picked a name quickly. That would have been too many employees to have an S-Corp. 
at 75. Or I think that, or, or an LLC, yeah, yeah. So this is a ridiculous thing. It's a we just formed the corporation, got the vendor contract. At the time, we had a very sweet deal. Uh, Microsoft was going after the book space, and we were going to run a book club for them and get a major percentage off of all books sold by Microsoft. And so we formed this little partnership and had this little thing, and and uh, Microsoft killed the learning center. So I was going to say Microsoft sells books. They were. They were okay. Yeah, it was pretty like this is when Amazon started to get up on the uptick, um, and so that. So- yeah, that didn't go through. They they turned they shut off their press, their entire learning um, side and the press side, which then killed the bookstore. Um, now, so, you, so is that how AJI started? Then was that yeah, project? Yeah, that project. That project? Right there. Now you've written a book, haven't you? Yeah, yeah, and, a couple of them. And what are those called? One was professional SharePoint development uh, for 2007. So it's hard to find now, but I bet uh, it's riveting. Yeah, it's awesome. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the latest one is called Agile Marketing. And it's the idea of bringing in uh, the concepts that we use to build software and agile techniques and, and planning and putting it on your marketing efforts and your marketing team to get them to start consistently building software or content over time and then have them also give us measurement. Because there's nothing like saying, hey, let's start a blog and not knowing how much it's going to cost and what it's going to cost to grow because you don't have any understanding of your team because creative people hate giving estimates, right? They float around the room and they say it's all art. Well, I'm sorry. If you need to sell something, you know how long it's going to take you to manufacture and push out. you got to give me a number here. Um, and so the book teaches people how to give estimates, calculate estimates, and then roll out a plan that gives them that structure. So are, are these much like projections where they're wishful thinking and you're hoping for something? Or So, so since we're in Kansas City, here's a good example. <laughs> it's not Gary Lee's act saying new data every night, and then he gets a free pass. And, I love and, Gary. And, and for our guy. listeners outside of Kansas City, Gary Lezak is our local weather guy who is right 1% of the time. And every single night he can come out and say, hey, new data's in, because we all know the computers are out there looking at the radars, and we know weather changes. So every day he can be off by 10 degrees, and everybody goes, oh, Gary, right? And they give him a pass. But in software, we can't do that. We can't say new data's in. And so it's more like hurricane forecasting, where the closer it gets to land, the better you know it's not going to hit Houston or it's not going to hit Miami. My, my favorite Gary Lezak moment, not to get stuck on this, was at a Royals game, watching him give the night's weather forecast, talking about how clear it was going to be while it was raining on me. <laughs> it was and, obviously pre-recorded. Yes, and you know, but the point with that is, you know, the projections and all that stuff. It's always wishful thinking. We were recording some other stuff about that recently, and how hard that is to do. So, Jeff, I want to, I want to see if I can take us back to an earlier time. We've, we've known each other for 17 years or whatever it is. Back to a, a day of being an entrepreneur when you were helping somebody else sell CDs at a U2 concert. Oh, jeez. Yeah. And I wanted to know if I could get you to talk about that. I, I can mention. I won't mention names or what happened, but let's just say <laughs> I was the only one without the last name that the rest of the people in the car had. And so, and then, you know, so... So it was bootleg CDs, and we were at a U2 concert, and he said, hey, Jeff, come on and help me. And I'm like, at the time, he's my boss, and you do whatever the hell the boss says when you're 18 years old and working as a full-time developer making quite a bit of money. Um, And so I went with him, um, and the cops searched the vehicle for some stuff that they never ended up finding. Um, Yet the whole time I could see it, and uh, it was... uh, 
yeah, an interesting evening. We never really talked about it much after we got home because uh, I can't. I, I think technically I can't go to the Notre Dame campus anymore. I think they're like a, like you cannot step foot on this for doing so, this thing. Well, the funny part of this was before you you guys even went to this concert is you were the one burning all the CDs in the office right before you guys took all the CDs. Yeah, because I was good at stuff. It's, it's like Matt talked about, like him being the the eighty percent developer and then not wanting to take it all the way. I, like we both can analyze software better than Jeff went all the way with this one. And, I mean, we were hacking Furbies back in the day. We were doing all sorts hacking of Hacking Furbies. Yeah. Wow. But we were building like the first version of StubHub, right? We built the first live ticket exchange. We did. We were, before we were 20. Um, we built the things that made it hard to get Hannah Montana tickets. We built the these you know pieces of software that lived all over the world that would find great tickets and buy them. We were like those evil guys behind the scenes doing all that stuff. It was fun. I mean, we were still in college at the time, too. Yeah, there's a lot of interesting things that do a lot of interesting stuff, that's for sure. I love the uh, the way some of that's evolved over the years. And so, another show, Ask Matt How He Met His Wife. <laughs> oh, come on. <laughs> you really want to know the truth? Sure. I met my wife online, yes. but it was all because of Jeff. Jeff lost a lot of weight, and he thought he was hot shit. <laughs> and he posted his go. photo on hotornot.com, and that was one of the, that was it was sort of like Tinder or something way back. Oh, and, I remember. And it. you would go on and rate people like one to ten or yeah. whatever. And he was like everybody was rating him like a, a six or seven or whatever. And myself and the other guys in the office were like this is bullshit. So we all <laughs> uploaded our photos on there. And we're like, we're all hotter than Jeff. And Mr. Jeff thought he was hot shit at the time. And anyways, I think he ended up being higher rated than I was. But I ended up meeting my wife through that website. That is how I met my wife. Yeah. It is he all paid, Jeff's he fault. He paid for the account. And then that got you access to communicate with people. To the dating side of it. Is that actually how Hot or Not made money in the end? Like yeah. you could add, okay. Well, I didn't think they made money after a while. I think it died. But it was an advertisement. Well, now it came back. Yeah. It's like Tinder. I worked at a, I worked at a piano store when Hot or Not was out. And if you work at a piano store, it means you've got a lot of time on your hands. <laughs> so, uh, you know, you I used to just say, this is back with dial-up internet. Just I remember just clicking, yes, Hot, Not, Not. Yeah, just yeah. the ratings and all that. It was just like, wow. And I always wondered who the people were that uploaded their pictures. I always figured it was, it was someone. Jeff. I always Jeff. figured it was someone else uploading a picture of their friend <laughs> or someone they just didn't like. It, I mean, if you I didn't back, realize there was willing participants there. If you go back to the ancient days of the internet, back in like the 90s, I mean, chat lines are no different than Facebook. Um, they just, it's a little bit more streamlined. It's a little bit more live. But people would stare at the screen watching these threads go by refreshing to get the latest thing and same with hot or not and instagram i mean these are all very similar things hot or not you can think of it like instagram and you either like the photo or you don't but it's the same damn thing you're you're scrolling through photos well now that we've all verified that we're fucking old <laughs> um <laughs> let's get back into talking about aji sure. and and this is the company that you had found some success in at one point, right? Yeah, so we were an agency. So uh, when you start a company, and you guys have kind of mentioned like the product side versus the services side, we were services side by necessity, right? Because you also talk about like not making money off your startups. We needed a check because we got fired. And so we have to make 
money that was the equivalent of what we do plus some so that we could build the other things. Um, and so over time, it just it kept growing. We got employees and we tried different models, and but it worked and we, it was successful. But it got to the place to where um, being a 50-50 owner, it's somebody that has to step out and say, I want you to lead and I want you to be that you know, the, the guy who's thinking about things and pushing us forward and I want to take a back seat. And me and my business partner at the time, we could never get to the place where we'd allow the other one to do that. So well, both of you were 50-50 owners. Yeah, 50-50 owners. And you, you, would, you would grow the business quite a bit, right? You had like 10, 15 employees. Yeah, yeah. And the, you guys were very successful. 18, you, yeah. were, you were making money. Yeah, we were about one, one and a half, two million a year. Um, and what, what were the things that were? Just office and computers, so no overhead. What were the sticking points with you and your partner about why? So, so you guys kind of had this tug of war, like, hey, you or, or either one, either both of you wanted to lead, or neither one of you wanted to lead. Yeah, both kind of bring the same result with a different road to get there. Exactly. So, so we were the same type of person. We were software developers, um, and so. We were both community focused. A lot of you talked about diversity in the leadership. We didn't have that, but also we didn't have a choice, right? We didn't go pick each other. This was like casted on us. We were friends doing something fun that then ended up being our job. Um, and so we would like no always wins in a 50 50 battle. And so it takes either time and patience to work on the other person or you have to give up. And sometimes when you're making large strategic decisions like a buyout or looking to open different offices or different product lines and service lines and stuff like that. If the other person doesn't see the same future you do, you're going to get tied. But because of the way responsibility works in corporations and everything like that, you can't technically walk away either. Because at 50-50, you are a primary owner, so you have that fiduciary responsibility to be a part of it. So, so it's worse than a divorce. It's harder to well, get. Yeah. So I, I had something even worse than this happen at Venn Solutions. When I started the company, I started with another gentleman, and we were like 50-50 partners. And I thought it was the dumbest idea to and print we, stickers for cars because he told me about it. I'm like, yeah, go ahead and do it. So I, <laughs> like all these people are talking about like not my naysayer Bitcoin. over here. Like I could have bought Bitcoin at $5. No, I could have helped Matt with Venn Solutions he at the beginning. But I was like, this is dumb. Use but cars. I, no. but I, so I started the company, and it was <laughs> – it was like, <laughs> I wish our listeners could see Jeff's face right now because it's a definitely if ifs and buts for candy and nuts, we all would have yeah. had a merry, merry Christmas. So what, what I was trying to say is, so I started and it was, it was a 50-50 thing and we brought in some new partners and we brought in the new partners. Um, we had this dumb idea to set up a legal structure. So it required a super majority. So literally we had five partners and all five of them had to agree to do anything that is way worse than trying to get convince one person to do something. Yeah. I can convince five people. And by the way, you can't fire any of them. Yeah. I, I have to, everybody would have to agree to fire themselves. So we ended up in the same sort of problem. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm not even going to talk about what will happen with that. So I'm probably but supposed in that to, same scenario, but ran me, the same problem yeah, for, for me. So when we did bring another partner in and we had to split equity at that point. Um, and so I became the majority share owner, but I was still underneath what the two of them could do. 
The two of them could outvote you. Because they could outvote me and we didn't have the consensus. There were decisions made about the entire way we did business, the the things that I felt were core values and that were the reasons the customers that we had were staking with us and the reasons that I was selling because I was the main sales guy. Um, people would come to us. We're all getting pushed away. And I'm... I'm one of those sales guys with integrity. If if you can't buy now, I'm not going to push you. And if I say we're going to do it, we're going to do it. And luckily, I'm a software developer too, so I can actually make it happen too. If I need to go all Gordon Ramsay on the team and push him out of the way and finish the work, I could. And I did often. Um, but when I couldn't make the vote, when I couldn't say let's not go overseas yet, right, for our development team, we're not ready. You've talked about having an overseas team. If you don't have project management structures and communications and, and somebody back here that is tied tight um, to your vision, you, will get, you won't get what you're wanting to produce. And when we're producing other people's stuff as fast as we can for, for the dollar rate, it's very hard to convey any of that. So a lot of consulting practices like the, the video fizz showed that I bought stuff and it never worked because it's very hard to communicate through telephone. That's why I always say five people down the road of what you're Software development about. is more about communication than anything. Yeah, I agree. And that's, you know, Matt and I, because obviously his, his is local, mine isn't, we always have this kind of seesaw debate because there's obviously the attractive nature of some of the cost savings. But then when you put your own time into that, are you really saving anything? I actually talk about that in Million Dollar Bedroom a lot. Like, you know, if you're running a company and all you're doing is managing your, you know, employees that cost 10% of what they cost here, are you really saving any money? So you guys decided to bring in a CEO? Yep. And that was the new partner. So that was the split. And so um, we gave her kind of directional control. Um, and, and, we're thinking that this is going to take us in the right direction. We needed somebody to break the fight, right, to break the nose. And the way it went was not the way I wanted it to go. And so at that point, um, I offered to either have me go silent and allow my fiduciary responsibility to kind of go away now that I wasn't primary owner um, and or buy me out. And during that time, inexperience as a CEO in that industry and the team and the dynamics of the team um, were so off that um, it just went down. It went straight downhill. Um, clients were walking away. We weren't making any money. People weren't selling anything anymore. Um, developers were taking too long because things weren't pushing and I had no control. What, what was the big thing? Like, what was the one thing that tanked it? Like, was there a decision or a move? There, there's usually some, a couple linchpins that, that seal that failure into place. Uh, I think you... it was fear of uh, fear from everybody to actually to step out and play the new rules. Um, one of the things, because I was wanting to just walk away and just leave, let them build this company and that, you know, I would own a portion of, but I'm going to go over here and do my thing. You were giving them complete trust. Exactly. But their fear of me competing with them got in their head. And I'm like, look. These why are, would you compete with them? Why would I compete with them? Right. But it's hard to convince somebody that you wouldn't compete with them when there is this fear that you will. Wouldn't that have been easily solved with a piece of paper signed by everybody saying that well, you weren't going to compete with them? Exactly. And so um, the spouse of the new CEO is a lawyer. 
at a very large firm here in town. And so the the agreements they were sending over for non-competitive uh, were essentially I couldn't write software or do marketing in any city that I had spoken at or done work at in the United States, which is nearly every city because I go a speak at a lot of stuff. Yeah. And so I couldn't do, I would have to go out in the middle of Kansas and try to sell high. You, you were going to have to monetize that podcast. Uh, well, no, I mean, because it was marketing too, right? Oh. So there was things that I was like, look, I can't even start the new thing up over here. I'm not even sure that would have been legally binding. It wouldn't, yeah, but when, yeah. when your partner has, or when one of your business partners has a husband who is a lawyer who won't charge her fees for doing work. I, I, I wouldn't have, have, I wouldn't have even reviewed that document because yeah. it's impossible. That would have been exactly. possible. To, I come from a family of lawyers and judges, yeah. so and I, that doesn't mean I know anything about It's just like if you come legal, from a yeah. I know enough to know that that's not an objective document. Yeah, but it, know, would take, like, it would take money to fight it. And right. if you're in a business situation where there's a company of size, yeah. all they have to do is put a restraining order on me to stop my business yeah. until they can have this resolved. And that could be months at a time. So what were you... What were you going to do then? I was going to go start a new community for marketers, uh, which is what I'm doing, enterprisemarketer.com. Um, the idea is to build a community and association model that makes it to where marketing teams learn together. Um, and so that was what I was going to focus my time on. But in the side, I was going to take interim projects to help keep money coming in and everything like that. Um, but the fear wasn't there. Uh, the fear was there on their side, and it continued the conversation too long. We should have just just kind of parted ways and done something else. Um, but by the time that it happened enough, the worst thing about uh, service-based businesses, if you're not selling, you're dying. And enough months had went by, enough capital reserves had been burned through that the last day of kind of our partnership, uh, we had to lay off the team. We had to steer right a whole bunch of projects. There was funds that were used, funds that were, were no longer there, debt and stuff like that. And it just became this nightmare. And that's then we a, that's kinda, an odd paralysis by analysis yeah. kind of situation. And then you have an yeah. office that fits 18 people and now there's just a couple of you. And that's another $6,000 a month that you have to pay. And then there's money to get out of those contracts and everything like that. My biggest advice to any startup is to co-work or work from home, never sign a lease. Um, because Until you leases, get to a certain place. Well, even then, like leases are some of the hardest things to get out of. So find the shortest lease you can. And if you think you know you need space, buy the building. So now you have an asset as a services-based business that you could then leverage for capital in the future. Um, Sounds familiar, right? I don't know. Because, like, anytime we go to a bank to look for money, like, well, you don't have any assets. Like, yeah, we've got all these clients and projects and all this stuff. Like, yeah, that doesn't mean nothing. So, so what's fascinating is you had 18 employees. You had a great business. It was a great con consulting service-based business. It's high margin, right? You, you mentioned earlier you were doing $1.2 million. Was that in profit a year? No. So it was, was revenue. in revenue? Yeah. Um, but our overhead was maybe five, 600000 So it was I mean, It was, it was profitable business. Yeah. Yeah, we were doing great. Good. And then you bring in a CEO. You hope to step away. And six months later, the whole thing hits the fan and falls mm -hmm. apart. And the thing is, like, after everybody's gone, the smoke settles, clients are still calling. So I have to look back in to Outlook and Slack and all this stuff to find out who said what and when and everything like that. And you would see these rumblings of conversations that were had behind my back or behind some of the other employees' backs that they would they were trying to get out. And essentially it was this, it was this weird, like, click 
or this culture that formed around the other employees that was it was a cancer. And so Dave Ramsey, if you guys know him from an entrepreneur perspective, he talks about that. Like anybody who grumbles, anybody who talks trash on you or says anything bad, they got to go because they're not part of the mission the plan. And so you just never allow for people to do rumors and stuff like that. And you could see it. I mean, I saw enough Slack messages where they called me an asshole or they said that, look at Jeff's little pretty enterprise marketer sticker. And these are messages going back and forth to employees that I paid while I was actually in the office for meetings and stuff like that. So looking back, do you you think that you should have noticed some of those employees? I did Like looking back saying, oh, yeah, 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 that guy didn't like me. I noticed some. I I think there was a little bit of fear to get rid of them. But then by the time I was ready, and I would have meetings all the time saying, you need to get rid of these people. They're not helping. They're hurting. You just had that feeling, right? Right. The spider sense. Um, It causes, if you can't make that decision. Right. I can't right. pull the trigger if she's the CEO and and my partner doesn't want to change anything. There's nothing I can do. This is the same struggle I've had for a long time. Like I always feel like my my gut instincts are right 99% of the time. And like you, like sometimes like I don't make the decision and I let it go and let it go and let it go. And then eventually I look back and like I should have just pulled the trigger. I, I think that's OK to a certain point, though, because, I, you know, much like validating a business, I think you have to kind of validate your gut and your decision. And it, and it can also be situational for me. Like if you've worked for me and been really productive for four years, I'm going to give you the benefit of the doubt for a little bit why I validate that. If you just started two weeks ago and you're clearly terrible right away, eh, I probably don't need a month. But, to but the that problem out. is when you have a startup, you don't have time. Yeah. Right. If your gut, your gut instinct is this person is not going to work, you don't want to sink your whole business because of that. Right. Take it from me as somebody who's been through this and we all talked about lessons learned. Uh, most of those people unfriended me on LinkedIn. Most of those people had talked enough smack on me, but yet I'm still paying the debt that they left behind and I'm making it to where their life isn't hell or doing anything and I'm cleaning up shop. So as much as you want to invest in people, invest in your business, know that when you go to close that thing down, you're done. It costs so much money and everybody will blame you because you're the leader. And you're, and you're done with those. Those people are done with you too. Like, and I've run into that. It's, it's a, you know, I kind of have this thing where I just don't become friends with my employees anymore. And I used to, because I like to have that kind of close knit family feeling. And when you got to make a change, that's it. You're done. You know, they're, they're unfriended you on Facebook. They're saying shit about you and blah, blah, blah. You know, it's, you mentioned have, you know, finding Slack and all these old communications. I actually had a former employee that, turned in a company computer and didn't wipe it. Mm-hmm. And uh, when I opened it up, the iMessage thing popped up. Yeah, yeah I looked at it. Yeah, as a business and owner. I was just was sitting there. My shop. computer technically is mine. I wasn't doing it. I wasn't, I didn't go searching or hack into anything. It like literally opened up and I saw this conversation. I was like, wow, I had a problem for three yeah. months. And I thought I only had one for about a month. But, you know, it had to do with kind of like, I don't like the direction that Matt's taking this or whatever. Um, it was funny because it was related to I wanted to start doing blog marketing for my old ticketing sites. And uh, it wasn't it, the consensus wasn't that that was the right thing to go go with. Uh, we made, I don't know, maybe half a million bucks off that over the next couple of years. Uh, it worked until it didn't work. 
that was a whole nother, yeah. it's a whole nother thing. We can talk about Google penalties maybe at length. Yeah. Yeah. I might need a, I might need to stand about 50 feet away from the microphone because I'll be screaming about a few things. But, but yeah, so yeah, and I agree. I think that once some of these, you know, that, that feeling that cancer that if, you know, if, if, if the longer you let it sit, the more it can spread and the more it can grow. If you have people in your organization that are, well, first off, what about just negative people in general? Yeah, like it's it, the yeah. same thing. The first day employees would come on board, I'd hand them a copy of No Asshole Rule, which is a, it's a book written out of Stanford that based off of research, what happens when somebody with a negative attitude enters your space? And they did uh, surveys with all these people that they would have devices on them and they would say, how do you feel throughout the day? And they could actually watch it spread like mm -hmm. cancer. I was pissed off. I came in. I said something short to the secretary up front. She got mad. She walked back to the water cooler, huffing and puffing, and then somebody else heard her say something that pissed them off, and it continues to grow. And, so. and the, you know, in a recent presentation that I gave, I, I like to talk about negativity, and I say if there was a, if I told you there's a room at the end of the hallway, and it's filled with people that have the flu, a cold, other airborne communicative diseases, would you want to go in there and sit for an hour? Raise your hand if you would. Of course, no. of course, no one raises their hand, but that negativity and that undermining vibe is the same thing. The more you're around it, the more you're exposed to it, and the closer you get to it, the greater exactly. the likelihood. You know, if you put someone in a room with people saying negative stuff, they come out saying that person comes out saying negative stuff. If, you know, yesterday the person in front of me in the drive through at Starbucks bought my drink. So I bought the person's drink behind me, which, by the way, costs $8.50 more than mine would have cost. I've never been happier. Yeah. And it just like, you know, I was feeling it was just a normal day. I was right in the I was operating on the mean. I wasn't up. I wasn't down. I was just kind of there. And that lifted me up. And that was a good example. And, and, you know, Matt and I discussed yesterday, you know, I don't ever want to be the person that that trend stops on. Yeah. They could have been like, okay, the person behind you spent forty-two fifty. I would have been like, shit, hang on. Do you take cards? Because <laughs> I've got eight bucks. Uh, but you know, that's that's kind of that thing, and I and I think that's an important thing for founders and people that are trying to do anything, especially in the leadership role. You talk about the Gordon Ramsay, mm -hmm. but sometimes you got to do that. Right. Sometimes you have to push. Other times you have to pull, but you can't be negative and a-holy mm -hmm. all the time because that's just not going to last. Like people are in the end, you know, there's a zillion sayings, you know, flies and yeah. honey and, and all I'm not, that. I'm not good at that transition plan. I think if I ever built another product or company like that, like the minute I have to be focused on my employees and not the customers is the minute I need to start selling the thing because I am always customer focused. And if I'm saying we're going to build a high-end restaurant and I want to deliver stuff and somebody gives me something that I wouldn't even put out at McDonald's, I'm going to yell. And I'm going to teach you a lesson either by firing you or I'm going to teach you a lesson by having you go back and redo it and as quickly as possible because you're wasting time. Um, and that's something that I think it is love. It, that is love to your employees by saying, hey, not all education is easy. If you mess up software here and we've got a deployment and it's out in public, you're going to have to fix it overnight. You're going to have to stay and work. That's a reality. You can't just say go home and play. I think that sense of urgency is important, too, and understanding what is important. You know, like, um, you know, we're here to service the customer, not to build the platform. Exactly. And I have a problem with that sometimes, you know, it's because uh, it's e we, we've talked about that recently as well, is it's easy to feel like, you know, hey, we're building this and that's what we do. No, we're building this for this purpose. That's what we do. Mm -hmm.
Uh, that, we're, not, that, we're not just writing code. We're, we're trying to solve a problem. We're trying to sell stuff. No. And that's, and that's also a challenge, too, when you have a bunch of people that aren't sales-oriented. Because, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of people, well, geez, there's a whole lot of people that just hate salespeople. Yeah. And then there's a lot of people that hate set sales. They don't necessarily get it. Um, sales is easy. It, it honestly, it is. It can be easy, but you have to. There's no million dollar closing line. Yeah. My greatest closing line ever is, did you want to go ahead and get this? Yeah. It's that simple. Um, we complicate it by thinking that we need some five-part strategy and an infographic that walks us through all these steps. Yeah, you're going to travel through most of those steps if you're doing a good job, but it, it doesn't have to be like that. Yeah. You know. So, so Jeff, talk to us. You AGI kind of imploded on you, and that was yeah. a terrible, terrible thing. Um, it sounded like you kind of picked up the pieces of that. Yeah, so all the other partners, I uh, essentially took over the shares um, and owned 100% of it. And the idea was that Square Digital was going to kind of own it and just kind of move on. Um, ended up, it's not that easy. And so uh, officially, AJI will be um, closed and, and dissolved. And then Square Digital is still running. Um, but. But yeah, so it's all the debt, all the responsibilities, getting rid of the furniture, getting rid of the space. And did you already do all of that, or is that still in process? It's all done. Yeah, so it was a long, t- it was a long process. It was four hundred hours of donated consulting um, to get clients the product that they bought. But you were able to then keep those clients, right? Yeah, Some of them? exactly. So yeah, they're they're my clients, the ones that I knew needed to go, um, because it was just was a really bad situation or something like that. Then I still made it right. Um, but yeah, the majority of our clients. They were like, well, as long as you can promise us that this is not the way you're going to go, we'll come back. And so, um, so yeah, I've never, like, had to sell my house or foreclose on anything. I'm not – we weren't heavy in debt, you know. As but you family. had to hustle your way out of it, right, to oh, yeah, blood pick sl- up the mess and I try and not, make it right with those customers? I've and- not sl- slept in past 6 a.m. since for a year now, right? constantly getting up because a lot of people like to steal time in the evening. I want to be there for my kids. So 4.30 or 5 o'clock when I'm off, I put my phone in the office. It has a keypad that I actually have to physically type in a number to unlock it. So that's for me, it's a mental block. I have to purposely break, you know, into something to get it, get my phone back. And I spend time with them until the evening. Um, And then if I need more work, I get done. But I'm up 4.30 in the morning hacking away software for somebody. Because a good four hours of the day is sitting there. So with your your new business, um, Square Digital, do you have employees now, or is it just you? Or no, there's a there's a time that you have to heal, and <laughs> right, uh, you got to. Luckily, I'm, I'm employees good. are tough. Yeah, yeah, I'm I'm good. I can still write software really well. I can still manage. Um, yeah, that's all relevant. The healing yeah. never stops, Jeff. Yeah, I think it's, but there will be a place where I get to where I can trust people again. Um, But at the time, like right now, I just don't feel the need to grow a services business again. Um, I want to grow enterprise marketer. I want to grow because I've been down that path. I've learned the lesson that if you're not selling this thing and you can't buy an agency, you can't sell an agency easily. You are not going to make what you think. It's about 10% of what your revenue is, is what you'll get on any good day. And the reason for that is that once the person that's running that agency is no longer a part of it, mm-hmm. it's gone. That was the way it was with my ticket business. You know, we shut that down. It's a year ago and five days, mm-hmm. 370 days ago. And people keep asking me, they're like, oh, did you sell it for much money? I'm like, I didn't sell it for shit. I said, why not? 
because it wasn't worth a penny without me running it. All it was all relationships. Yeah, like some some businesses are like that, right? It's like you you're not really creating a company as much as you're creating a job for yourself. Yeah, yeah. which yeah, is fine, but yeah, it doesn't mean you can sell it later. And you create well, a lot of dysfunction too, because you're not got, new owners aren't going to do the same thing that the old owners did, and that's exactly why people are coming there because they like the way the old owner was. Yeah, and especially like with the in the ticket business, that was very. And you guys both have some history there. You know that the person that owns that company has, you know, groomed and worked these relationships. And by the way, those relationships come and go in a heartbeat. They'll mm-hmm. just throw you out the door because they have a better deal somewhere. Oh, yeah. But yeah, there wasn't really anything to sell. And I think that you know you bring up a good point about the job. You know, in the promo video that we made for Startup Hustle. Which, you know, yes, that's not Morgan Freeman. That is me (laughs) doing the voiceover there. But, you know, if you're entrepreneurship really means you're building something that's bigger than you. Mm -hmm. And that means it has to have some survivorship possibilities. Like, look at the difference between our stuff and Matt's, Mm -hmm. you know, Vince Solutions. And, you know, this is sometimes a salty subject, but it's still there. They have 500 employees. I know multiple people that work there, actually. And, and, you know, that's still a very, you say 500 employees? That's a big, in Kansas City, that's a major employer. Mm -hmm. But that's the point is that value is connected to the survivorship, not Mm -hmm. necessarily the current revenue. And that's why I, my startup model is different. I, we've done some lineage tracking on Ancestry, and I believe I'm seventh generation entrepreneur. So everyone before me has owned a business. My dad's owned a business. His dad owned a business. His dad, my, one of my my. Did you really look that up? Yeah, because wow. that was like weird. Because like everybody in our family, my wife's dad owns a business. My brother owned a business, and it was like everybody owns a business. Like when we get around Christmas. Everyone has their own business. My uncle Mike has a truck business. My dad owns a Serve Pro, um, and I own whatever the hell I own that that, that time, right? Um, and my wife's dad owns a small town Kinkos kind of thing. Um, but yeah, my great grandfather started one of the very first egg hatcheries. So Clinton, Missouri, is known as the baby chick capital of the world, right? Um, and the thing is about that is. The loyalty to the customers, even though their businesses change over time, and I think that's a, as startup owners and, and entrepreneurs, like we won't always work for the, the startup we're building, but the core values stay the same. So my great-grandfather, who had a general store out in Piper, Missouri, like 40 people, he would wake up in the morning, go to Kansas City, and pre-buy seed for the farmers, and this is turn of the century, kind of like post-World War II kind of stuff, you know? And he would go pre-buy it, eat breakfast up on Southwest Boulevard, get the seed, take it down, and be ready that day for the people who could come in to buy stuff. Because he knew his customers well enough to say, hey, they're getting ready to do this, or they're running on this, let me go get it so I can have it at my general store. Um, And that kind of passion then gets led down to the next generation, but it was always customer-centered. And, you know, I think as we kind of come to a close on this episode of Startup Hustle, there's some really important things that came up, and I think integrity, um, and I commend you on doing the right thing for your clients and retaining those relationships because the easiest thing to do is bail. Yeah. And a lot of people do that. And it, you Could know, have filed for bankruptcy yeah. and just but let somebody else sort it out. Exactly. So when I looked at my business partners, I would say, what, what would I have wished that they would have let me do so I can go do my thing? And that means, can I offer that to them? 
So could I give them a parachute to go and just end this chapter of their life? And I could because I had the hustle. I was the only one of the three of us that could have made it right uh, with the clients to write the software, to fix things, to build the relationships back up. I was the only one that had solid relationships with the clients where they would call me on my cell phone, we would hang out, and I was the only one that knew the platforms in and out. And so if I can shut it down well and just let them go, essentially, and go start their chapter of life, then, you know, that's, for me, that's treasures in heaven, that's, that's future, that's good deeds, right? That's something I can do. And it's only a year of my life that I have to do all this extra stuff, but I'm learning a lot and I'm growing and I'm healing and I'm still... I still have these customers. So, well, I think another component too is the is the drive and the determination. You know, not everyone's willing to get up at four thirty in the morning. I work on the opposite spectrum. I, I I I do when I go home. You know, I have some time where I'm with my family. We actually let our daughter stay up till ten o'clock. Which some parents are like, how could you do that? I'm like, hey, that's like that's my time. That's, you know, when I'm the most available and it's the easiest. And then I oftentimes will work till like two in the morning. Mm -hmm. Um, and I get a lot done then because there's not a lot of noise around, but it's about doing what you need to do. Um, another, I think the third and final thing I'll bring up is, you know, really making sure that you're on the same page with the people that you're doing business with as partners. Partners are tough, man. I had a lot of problems with partners. Yeah, the best it, quote. I think everybody that's had a partner has yeah. had a tough time with partners I, at some I, point. We had to fire the CEO twice. Yeah. If you haven't read Dave Ramsey's Entree Leadership book, um, I highly suggest it. And in there, the best quote is, the only ship that will never sell is a partnership. Oh, <laughs> nice. <laughs> it just means so much. That, it's not that you guys can't be friends. It's not that you can't do work together. But find a way to have an exit strategy. Find a way that says, when you're done, essentially like a lot of people do key man insurance policies and stuff like that, that uh, essentially buy back the stock if you die. Find a way that says when you want to be done, there's an exit that you can take that's going to be painful for everybody, but you can get out. Well, I think that that's a – we'll go ahead and add a fourth component on there, and that's – you know, we've joked about planning. But when you're writing deals and agreements with people, if you're just writing them for what I call sunny day scenarios, you're missing half of the yeah. possibilities. Um, you know, good, good contracts and agreements and stuff like that – are written to also cover what happens when shit doesn't go the way you want it to. And, you know, I think that it's, I want to reiterate the fact that those documents should be objective. They shouldn't be written by your uh, partner's husband because there's no way that that guy, he's either doing a terrible job of representing her or doing a terrible job of representing you. Yeah. And he shouldn't be representing either because there's no objectivity. It was Abraham Lincoln said that he who represents himself has a fool for a yeah. client. Well, it's the same thing. So, you know, be, just because a lawyer wrote it doesn't mean that it's good. And just because it saves a few bucks doesn't mean that it was that it created any value. It might create a lot. I, I personally, and I say this coming from a family of attorneys, I'm not a big fan of attorneys. They'll tell you that. They're not. No one hates lawyers more than other lawyers yeah. um, in, in that regard. But, you know, there's so much stuff and so much hassle and so much expense that goes into that. And unfortunately, as people, we've created necessity to do that because it's the only way we can guarantee some kind of amicable split. And that's even if we're lucky, because just because you write it down doesn't mean anyone's going to pay attention to it. Whole nother show and a whole nother episode. 
Jeff, thanks for coming in. This oh, has yeah. been interesting. Uh, you know, in some of our other episodes, we make about five or six notes about we, what we want to go with for conversation. And, you know, we didn't do that in this one. And I, I kind of, <laughs> yeah, I kind of figured that once we got warmed up, that we were going to get going. What do you think, Matt? Did we figure out how to monetize our uh, podcast and validate it? I don't I'm firing myself after the show for having a podcast. Yeah. How is this partnership going to work yeah. out? Do we need to write up some <laughs> way to end this partnership? Yeah. In that way, there's a bar napkin somewhere that says, let's do a podcast. And it has a box that says yes. And another one that says no. And the problem is no one even checked a box. So, yeah. But I mean, what I tell people about this type of media is we're in the pioneering days of video and audio. And as small business owners, if you can jump on that bandwagon, the bandwagon of blog and everything like that is, is kind of dead. It's over. But the audio and video is going to get even more enhanced and more uh, intense. So we have an RV. We travel a lot. We, we can, now that I'm a solopreneur, I can go all over the world and do this work. We're going life, on the road, dude. My life road is trip. so much cooler now. My kids are homeschooled because of it now, and we can see anywhere. You follow so, you two around, don't you? Yeah. If yeah, we, we only could. Had, <laughs> we could. If we only but, had a jet. So, like, I can say, let's go somewhere else. And, and we pack up the RV and we head, right? I'm getting to do six weeks in Europe. Um, so that's that's something that's super cool about it. But the cool thing I learned this summer when, my, when I bought my son an Oculus is he put that thing on and he was in virtual reality for hours and hours and hours. He never was a campaign video guy. And he would go through and beat these entire games playing. And it was funny because you're in an RV, you're in trailer park. And I'm like, wow, this is so Ready Player One, the guy in the, the trailer park's playing virtual reality. Um, but that was his thing. He totally got it. And if you think about like kids growing up on Minecraft, going up in these weird virtual worlds that they're living in, the only way to reach them is going to be through the ears and their eyes. No text looks good except for the text you saw on Friday where Star Wars at the beginning creeped up. It's the only time you want to ring long for text in video. And so if you're putting on the goggles, I want to see, I want to have a hologram, and I want to have audio. I would be the I would be the guy whose avatar was running and straight into the corner with his legs just pedaling and going nowhere <laughs> and jumping up and down like I'm the guy in Call of Duty that you find you're like what the fuck is this guy doing and then you shoot me in the back I, I that's threw, me I threw the remote the first time I put it on because I literally thought a robot was going to jump on me it so I'm, that yeah real. I'm in big trouble if all this VR but, stuff I mean, gets too crazy and, like look at the lessons of Gary Vee's teaching right now don't necessarily look at how he's talking about startup look what he's teaching us about media that this audio and video based content he's putting out grows the quickest audience um, all these people that are YouTubers that we talked about earlier have bigger audiences than entire networks on television yeah we've had some first hand experience with that this year yeah, yeah. and you know we'll maybe visit that later well Jeff thanks for coming in um, for those of you listening, uh, Jeff, also, do you still have a podcast? Yep. So enterprisemarketer.com, we have several shows. Um, right now we're running out with uh, Marketer to Marketer, which is experts interviewing each other. Um, so I get to take a backseat on the interviews for a time, but we've got tons of video and audio-based shows. And, and we we paid Jeff off with the free Respect the Hustle t-shirt and a copy of each of my books to guarantee that we'll be on those podcasts at some point. So Absolutely. make sure that you find <laughs> it and subscribe if you're listening. Thanks again for tuning in to Startup Hustle. 
We'll see you next time. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Startup Hustle with Matt DeCarsi and Matt Watson. For more great content and to stay up to date, visit startuphustle.xyz. And if you enjoyed today's episode, please rate and subscribe. And we'll catch you next time on Startup Hustle.